0: Well, today I might be walking a tightrope for some as we talk about sheep. Yeah, maybe you've considered sheep for your ranch, or you're one of those totally adverse to it. Well, either way, I think you're gonna find today's topic very informative. So
1: I think the old school rule of thumb that you can if you have a 400 cow ranch and you can probably run 400 ewes and not even know it
0: sage askin a rancher from wyoming that runs cattle sheep and goats across several states is my guest as we discuss the details of his sizable sheep operation and why it's part of his enterprise mix for his ranch on today's episode of the working ranch radio show welcome you back here to the working ranch radio show justin mills here with you we're glad to have you joining us by the way today is episode 59 and if you were tuning in to the very beginning the intro yes you know we are talking on sheep and i and i jokingly kind of referred to that i might be walking a tightrope with a few folks because uh i know there there still might be some roots of some of the bitterness that was held between these two industries and between these two uh industries clear back to the late 1800s in fact they say Uh, back in the 18 oh about 1870 through 1920 there were about 120 engagements occurred in eight different states and territories where at least 54 men were killed and some all 50 to 100,000 head of sheep were slaughtered over what they coin as sheep wars or sheep and cattle wars so that's kind of why you know I sort of was joking about that but I know that uh, folks if you're listening I, I would gather that most of you are listening because you're out there to try to learn more information for your maybe you're wanting to expand your ranching operation or just your own information knowledge database in your mind. And I think today's program, you're going to be quite surprised. My guest is Sage Askin with Askin Land and Livestock out of Lusk, Wyoming, as he operates uh, cattle, sheep, and goat herds across several states. And I think you're going to find our conversation with, with Sage today very, very informative. So I, I invite you to join us for that. Also, the Captain Tim O'Byrne will be in with this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents and meteorology Don Day will be dropping in towards the end of our program as well with a look at our long-term weather. Right now, a thank you to the sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. Heterosis works, which is why with Simmental it's more per head, period. Find out more at Simmental.org. Other sponsors include the American Hereford Association. Come home to Hereford. And the North American Limousine Foundation. Limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line. Other sponsors today include Keneally Angus with their spring bull sale coming up on Saturday March 26th. Find out more at KeneallyAngus.com and finally the American Angus Association. Look for the registration number by the power by registered Angus bulls. Well it's time now to check in with the captain Tim O'Byrne publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents
2: hey justin hey everybody out there and working ranch radio land calving's in full swing for a lot of you i want you to research the madigan squeeze the madigan squeeze they use it a lot on young colts those dopey colts that are kind of laying around you you got to go on youtube to get it justin i know a lot of us know how to use use it um but you go on youtube and figure it out madigan squeeze for these calves it works for calves uh, you put the rope around and do it this way and and kind of You'll see it on YouTube anyway. I can't explain it on the radio, for crying out loud. And the second thing, Justin, I wanted you to ask uh, Don Day to explain, drill down a little bit deeper into this solar minimum, solar maximum. I researched a little bit online. It's really interesting. I didn't even know anything about it, but we're going in. So, if like, if the trough is down low on the graph, we're going into this 8 to 11-year solar maximum, all right? So, in about six, five or six years, it's going to be higher, higher temperatures, uh, more up, more sunburst. I'm not a weatherman. Get Don Day to explain it for us, but it's very intriguing. Back to you, Justin. I know you have a great show. I'm on deadline. I got to get the heck out of here.
0: All right, you bet. Thanks, Captain. And yes, when I visit with meteorologist Donde here in just a few moments, we're going to talk about it. In fact, something that's been going through my mind that I wanted to do, I'm going to visit with him about getting him scheduled here in the next week or so to do an entire show with us on weather, not only the long-term forecast for the next couple of months, but maybe further out, the next half a year to, to year, and some of the things that they're watching and patterns that they're watching that could affect our weather across the country. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to get into our our featured topic today as we talk on the subject of sheep. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. It's a competitive calf market and buyers want calves that will perform, period. And a proven solution is Simmental. In fact, data from the Tri-County Steer Carcass Faturity from 2002 through 2018 on nearly 60,000 head of calves revealed that Simmental sired calves represented the highest carcass-valued sire group over English and other continental breed groups. And the sire group that was the second highest carcass value was Simangus Sire. So the proof's right there. For low-risk, high potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, tall. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills with you. And we thank you for joining us on our program here. If you're just joining us, we're going to be getting into our featured topic here today for the next in the next three segments. And it is going to be on sheep. And I kind of made a joke in the opening that I might be walking a tightrope with some of you folks. That are, are totally adverse to, to the sheep, uh, to running sheep or having sheep on a ranching operation. But nevertheless, I, I really think in a lot of ways people aren't just going to just totally tune out because of what we're talking about here today. Because I think it's going to be super informative. Um, maybe you are just a strictly a cow outfit and that's what you want to be and, and that's what you want to stay. That's fine, but I also know there's folks out there, because I've had requests for us to do a show on this, on the sheep industry, so I know there are folks looking at it and would like to know more about it, and And for those folks, I think you're going to get a lot of information today, and, and back to the all of uh, you folks that might just be strictly a cow outfit, that's fine. But I think there's some stuff here too that you're going to find interesting. So I, I'm glad to have you joining us here on our program. Well, I'm going to introduce uh, my guest today, Mr. Sage Askin, with Askin Land and Livestock out of Lusk, Wyoming. He is my guest today, and Sage, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. And I guess to start off, let's just give folks kind of an idea of of what you're all doing and what your operation, your ranch includes, so that we kind of get a basis of where you're coming from as we continue with our conversation about your sheep enterprise.
1: Okay. Well, our operation as it stands, we have three primary enterprises and we alternate the scale of those um, as the market dictates. We do custom grazing and we call it all one enterprise, but it could be cattle, sheep, goats, you know, whatever. Um, But custom grazing is that enterprise. And so it's running somebody else's animals for them as a service, really. Um, And then our production enterprises basically shift between cow-calf and sheep. And uh, the cow-calf sometimes has a stalker segment, sometimes not. So in a nutshell, we are, uh, and our sheep specifically are hair sheep. Um, we have the Mountain Range's the largest and, and pretty well-known uh, locally adapted herd of, of hair sheep, pretty, uh, pretty much Dorfer influenced, And uh, we do sell some of those as an all-natural meat product that is butchered right here in Wyoming and shipped east so that's the primary enterprise so.
0: okay so we're going to mainly focus our conversation here today on your sheep enterprise because uh, about a year or so ago uh, as I put out on our podcast here about folks you know giving me an idea for topics and and somebody said you know it'd be sure be nice to have somebody come in and talk about the sheep business and the sheep industry and and of course uh, here in the west sheep were a major component to uh, our a lot of our our ranches growing up. I know I grew up uh, on a sheep ranch. Uh, You were around it as well. And there's just, there was a lot of sheep influence in the West, starting down as far as down into Texas and all the way up. So for you, as you come into this and and starting into the sheep industry, what were, what were you looking at and, and what brought you to into this business, into the sheep side of things, rather than just kind of be where we see so many guys just kind of stay in the cattle business. Why did you bring sheep into your mix for your, for an enterprise? Well,
1: I came from the range side of things, and so growing up, yep, I always heard the stories. Grandpa had a band of sheep, right? And uh, and and you know, I didn't know much about that. It happened before I was born. Um, and he was out, you know. So my mom, um, always had a little farm flock, and so I was used to the mechanics of sheep. You know, going out, I did night checks, all that growing up. 4-H and FFA. Um, I kind of shifted over towards more goats, but for for better or worse, you know, small ruminants were were probably in my blood a little bit. Um, however, I was kind of the guy, like a lot of people are, running numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, nothing looks better than enterprise than sheep. Um, and you, you sit there and you run it and you run it four different ways and you're saying, why do I even need to own cows? <laughs> and so I, I'm kind of a risk taker. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a ranch in the Wind River, um, you know, right on the Wind River, um, west of Riverton. And that ranch had a pretty significant browse yeah. component And to be honest, I somewhat uh, naively thought that sheep would complement the cattle on the ranch and eat a different part of the range resource. So I came from a a range perspective to sort of be my final justification to tip me over into getting a load of sheep. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of went from there. Uh, I did find that they didn't necessarily, they still graze and they compete with the cattle for forage. Goats are much more, uh, you know, more of a complement, but. The sheep and the cattle certainly use the ground differently. They use finer, finer forage and things like that as well. They use places that are further away from water. Um, and me being me, I, t- I tend to scale up. And so before too long, I had a big sheep uh, range that was completely vacant. And that's just an opportunity for a young guy. Um, and so I jumped on it and used that as my winter base and uh, was summering the sheep out there. And that was a pretty good compliment and a good operation.
0: Mm-hmm. So- now, you specifically deal with hair sheep. I know you have familiarity with wool sheep as well. So let's talk about what took you towards the direction of doing a hair sheep versus a wool sheep and and maybe your perspective on either of those different types of, of sheep.
1: You bet. Originally, the, the the buzz in the wool sheep industry, right, there would be a couple of reasons people would tell you they'd get out of sheep. And one of them is a lack of shears, or lack of you know steadiness of finding shears. And you hear all kinds of terrible stories about trying to lamb woolly use. You know they haven't been shorn, and the lambs are dying because they can't get a hold and and suckle. And uh, all that just did not sound appealing to me. Have to do that whole process. Plus I'm kind of low input, so I was looking for a low input animal. Um, the hair sheep fit the bill on that. Mm-hmm. Um, at least at least on paper, certainly. And secondly, I thought that they were a better niche animal um, for marketing purposes. I'm always trying to not be in the main commodity markets and try to get a little bit removed from that. You know, and the hair sheep certainly fit the bill. Um, They've become a little more commoditized now, but it is it is still um, it's way beyond a fad, but it's still fairly niche where we're kind of insulated from the ups and downs of the wool sheep industry. I have nothing against wool sheep. I think wool sheep probably winter a little better. Um, which seems evident, you know, Mm. they have a wool blanket (laughs) and then, and then I think that wool sheep, um, really fit the traditional model in Wyoming of wintering out on sagebrush and, uh, you know, a little bit of corn. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I think they fit like a glove. I think the hair sheep, um, are a higher value product, a little better mothers. And we've just went that direction because originally we bought half and half more or less of the two different. And we had to pick a direction and go with that rather than complicating things. Um, And so we picked the hair sheep just to be different more than anything.
0: Sure. Let's talk about um, in in the course of a year, kind of the timing for you. I I know folks, just as we are in the cattle business, they calve at different times of the year. Uh, Sheep folks, probably similar ways. There's some that lamb in the winter months. There's some spring months and then maybe summer months. But let's talk about your year routines that kind of take place uh, within your sheep operation.
1: Well, to walk through the whole production cycle, we could start with lambing. um that's certainly the most fun and rewarding time of year. um and we try to do that in May and June, and we just like the idea of the worst weather event that's gonna happen would be a real late blizzard and it's fairly rare or just a just a you know, generally we just get a warm rain and it doesn't seem to affect the lamb crop um and and they just seem more vigorous. you know, nutrition's a really big deal. so, so we're lambing on green grass, May and June, um, range lambing. They, they do all the things that come with that. It's very old fashioned. It's a bit of work for about a month. Um, and the sheep aren't real mobile during that time. After that, they they kind of take off. We're, we're doing open range herded uh, operations. And the men are pretty good at that. Um, you know, we may have two or three there for lambing season. And it just drops back to one guy. And that's how he is the rest of the year. So I'd say 11 months out of the year. There's one man at sheep camp and he's managing his band of sheep Mm -hmm. and he has some production incentives to do a to do a better job with those animals. Um, And we've learned to do that. And so he might take those lambs on. His goal is to keep them on good green feed and grow those lambs out. About 70 pound lambs will wean off. You can say 60 to 80 is kind of the average Mm -hmm. um, at roughly four and a half months of age. And at that time, we pull all the lambs and we kind of shift our shift gears to trying to get flesh back on the youth before winter hits. And then we finish all of our lamb marketing through the months of, say, December, January, February, March. And uh, during that time, we're developing. Um, we turn rams out to get a May you know, lamb would be in December to get a June lamb would be in uh, January. And so... Um, December, January, we're focused on getting the bucks out and uh, just wintering the sheep at the cheapest rate possible, you know. Mm. And so some winters are worse than others and cold spells and and all the things that come with that. So exactly. we're, we're just constantly trying to trying to keep them going more or less at a maintenance ration. Um, they more or less double their feed consumption and all anecdotal evidence would point to that um, when they start lactating, even with just one lamb side. And so we, you know, we've really tried to focus that on being the forage flesh and other than that, we're only we're only handling the sheep uh, between four and six times a year. The rest of the time, they're on the range, they're eating, they're performing, and and kind of paying us back.
0: Mm-hmm. So. You referenced just a little bit bit ago. You know your sheep camps, your labor. Let's talk about the details of that because uh, it is very much like the old sheep camps. I mean, we've all seen pictures of sheep wagons, and and you're maybe not necessarily using a, a traditional old sheep wagon, but the concept of what's going on there is is. Pretty much the same, I would say, as it was years ago when we just had sheep wagons out there. So I want you to talk about what you're doing for labor with that and the guys you're referring to and kind of how that's set up out there.
1: You bet. Yeah, nothing. It's more born from, you know, necessity. <laughs> yeah. And and where we didn't have any infrastructure, we had to figure out, if we wanted to have sheep, um, we had to figure out how to keep them home. And the little hair sheep, you know, that first winter without a herder um i was not the most friendly guy in the community you know and 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 i didn't like that you yeah. know our sheep were squirting out every which way and and they're little fence crawling boogers and the woolly sheep are a little better at that but the lambs of woolly sheep are just as bad as hair sheep you know and and it, it's just a mess you know so a lot of our fences in wyoming are pretty poor and and our attempts at electric fencing them didn't work so we got herders um and we also didn't have barns, and so that's kind of why we went to the range, lambing, and doing the whole range setting. And so, in a nutshell, they're the camper because we can't afford a uh, uh, antique such as a sheep wagon. <laughs> I there's- know. They're they're ten thousand dollar deals with a hole in the roof, you know, and <laughs>
0: That's
1: kind sure. of a vintage market, you know. So you know, but we can usually pick up an old camper that that is pretty sufficient for twenty five hundred bucks. Um, and uh, and that you know that I stay in when I go out there, and so we don't mind that. So so in a nutshell, beyond that, it's it's uh, it's the new modern version, and so they're out there with maybe solar panels, generators, um, four wheelers, um, a little air compressor and they're able to kind of be pretty self-sufficient we bring them food every two weeks we are um in contract with an a- these are h2a workers and they're on a government work visa mm-hmm. and so we have a lot of rules and stipulations that we have to follow so typically the ranch um, managers on the ranches that we're at which could be us but could be on extemporaneous ranches that releasing leasing pasture on we do ask the ranchers to check in on them every four days as we're as we're obligated to do by the federal government and usually Um, They get their grazing plan from whoever the ranch manager is at the time, tells them where to take them. um, And we manage the the grazing by moving the camp, um, as you well know, you know, and uh, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, the whole dynamic, you know, works well once you scale. You know, when you have less than 700 sheep, it's pretty difficult to afford that herder. You start adding that next load. Two loads, you know, you get up to 12 to 1400 and it it starts to look really good, not only on paper, but in practice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well and you kind of answer my question there because that was the next thing I was getting to is what's what's the scale that you need to be at to run to run those herders with there so you answered that question well let's take a break here and when we come back we're going to continue my guest is Sage Askin with Askin Land and livestock a ranch uh, he ranches down around Lusk Wyoming and when we continue we're going to continue talking more about his sheep enterprise that's part of his ranching operation as we talk about lambing percentages uh, this the, as you heard they do it out on the range versus traditional barn lambing that maybe some folks are accustomed to Uh, plus a lot more questions that we have about the sheep industry that i know a lot of us are probably not real familiar with and we're going to continue when we come back on the working ranch radio show There's assurance in buying bowls from a proven program. And a program that's been proven time and time again is Keneally Angus. So mark your calendar now for Keneally Angus Spring Bowl Sale Saturday, March 26th. That's the fourth Saturday of March. Offering 550 head of yearling, 18 month and coming 2 year old bowls. Now these bowls are fully guaranteed with free delivery nationwide. And bowls out of the industry's leading sires with genomic enhanced EPDs. You can buy in person. Leave them a bid or bid online at Northern Livestock video. For more information or to request a catalog, go to KeneallyAngus.com. It's Keneally Angus Spring Bull Sale, Saturday, March 26th at 12 Noon Mountain at the ranch south of Whitman, Nebraska.
2: Sale season's here again, and there are a lot of black-headed Angus bulls on the market, but not all of them are registered. Why take the risk? Don't gamble on unproven genetics. Invest wisely with registered, powered by Angus bulls. Backed by the power of the American Angus Association and 80 million data points, Registered Angus Bulls give you the confidence in your buying decisions. Don't buy an imposter. Look for the registration number. Buy the power. Buy Registered Angus Bulls.
0: And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Uh, by the way, today is episode 59, and I only point that out to also just remind you that if you like a show or you want to go back and listen to an episode that we've had, the easiest way to do that is search on any podcast provider out there under Working Ranch Radio Show. Shoot, I think if you even just type it into your web browser, you're going to find our podcast site where you can go and you can listen to any. Uh, any previous programs, you can share that link uh, to folks. You you want them to hear it as well. We've really had some great shows here to kick off 2022. In fact, last week we were talking on risk management and fetal programming. Those were two separate topics, not related, but two separate topics. A couple weeks ago, we did a show on feed efficiency, a coefficient to profitability, one of the largest first week downloads of shows that we've had uh, since I've been doing the, the program. And so that was a great program. Also a few, uh, about three, weeks ago we did a show with Ethan Wayne and of course he's the son of John Wayne a great interview to hear about his life growing up as John Wayne as his father and just some great subjects uh, great topics you know one of the things I try to do with our topics is is have things that, can, that you can go back in a year or two and listen to that because it's still relevant and occasionally we have to do stuff that's a little bit more timely but nevertheless there are a lot of shows out there that are beneficial to all of us in the ranching industry and I I hope uh, you find some value in that well let's get back to our show here today we're going to be talking we are talking i should say about the sheep industry sage askin a rancher out of lusk wyoming is joining me he runs a, a large ranching operation uh, with uh, cattle and sheep and goats. And uh, Sage, uh, as we left out of the break, I want to go back to uh, talking about your lambing, because I know with you doing more of a range lambing versus maybe what was uh, some folks do across the country in terms of barn lambing. And um, I'm sure you're saving some other elements there, some other uh, resources there by glamming that time. What's your percentage rates on your lambing when you go, go to May, June and doing it pasture versus what you know we've seen of course how i was raised we lambed in in a in a barn you know a big barn and so you know it's different so how does that equate differently from your know, range lambing versus barn lambing
1: you know i think that both of them can be all over the place but in a, in a nutshell i think the range lambing tends to be a bit lower lambing rate or lo- weaned lamb percentage but at much lower cost you know and that's kind of the whole reason for doing it we're in the neighborhood of 100 to 130%. And that's gotten pretty solid as our sheep have gotten more acclimated and they're starting to run in the same range, you know, and year in and year out. They really start performing for us. Um, uh, sheep don't translocate well. We've moved the sheep a bit frequently to get it up from that. Um, and a lot of the barn lambing guys, they might do 10 to 20% better. So they might get the really excellent ones might be getting 150%. Um, but that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that you know, 130% out of a barn and 110% on the range are good running averages. For sheep producers with adapted sheep.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk about those adaptions that you have in your herd because you introduced yourself that way and saying, I've, you know, one of the largest flocks acclimated, haired sheep acclimated to this Rocky Mountain region. And I think that's something to, to key on just a little bit because I think uh, these sheep more or less have more of a southern basis because of them being a haired and, and wool, just as you talked about a little bit ago. So let's talk about the acclimation of that and, and how that got a accomplished with your particular herd and, and how you've adapted over the years and learning that lesson with them.
1: You bet. well, you know, we've learned a lot. Um, <laughs> we learned a lot of ways not to do it. <laughs> and, and I' by no means has it been a you know necessarily a, a smooth ride. and the learning curve has been steep, but I will say this. Um, we kind of have a system now where when sheep don't perform, they get dull hair coats, they get poor body condition just keep it simple and get those sheep out and call them a coal animal um, that that uh, needs to go down the road that fall. Now we might not sell them as a thin animal, but they're, you know, so the, basically we're using old style cattle, like Lasseter type cattle traits. I think that's kind of what we're focused on with the sheep. It's, it's form follows function. And uh, we are all about functional sheep. So I can't walk through you know our i couldn't walk through this breed of sheep at the denver stock show and tell you which ones are going to function on the range and which ones are we've we've done a lot in the early years we were buying a lot of sheep we were throwing them out there and we were letting mother nature kind of sift through them and let us know which ones are going to fall apart and by golly there's some beautiful animals that just melt um in the heat and completely fall apart and sit there shivering in the cold and then there's some animals that are less visually attractive but they just perform they just mm-hmm. knock the ball out of the park. We've noticed that Dorper animals because they tend to fatten very nicely seem to be really well acclimated to the, the mountain west They fatten well they put a layer of fat on that protects them where if you just keep their nutrition up um, they really they really perform and even in the coldest climates as mm-hmm. as you've seen in the past. And mm-hmm. so so you know that that's kind of in a nutshell we we've focused on the nutrition. But we also focus on having animals that we don't have to supplement that much, you know. So our average supplement cost is fifteen dollars per U per year, and that's up. We used to spend closer to five, you know. But um, the market's also up and has borne that out. That, um, but uh, we've kind of gotten known for it. Our sheep have translocated. We're running in really rugged environments, um, largely pasture-based. Uh, Well, 100 percent pasture based. And it'd be rare when they ever saw it be like the worst blizzard and they might see behind a windbreak. And and uh, because of that, our animals have appeared to translocate to almost anywhere else is going to be, you know, I I hate to say it this way, but a better home for them. Mm -hmm. They're going to somewhere that's that's going to be, you know, greener grass. And and we sell a lot of sheep to like the East Coast and they've translocated really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been really special. Both coasts, actually um and uh, all across the midwest so yeah
0: uh let's talk ratios uh when we talk about uh cattle or sheep to cattle type ratios because if, if somebody's out there thinking okay I, I might be considering maybe maybe reducing my cattle enterprise and would add sheep into my enterprise what are the numbers that you're kind of that you work with to kind of give that basis so as a guy's trying to figure this out how many sheep they could run what would that ratio look look like
1: that's perfect Well. It depends on your range and a little bit on your, not so much your browse, but more your forbs and, uh, you know, your uh, your winter range would be, winter browse would be important, your sagebrush, but but also your finer fuel and the roughness of your terrain. But all that, all those different variables aside, I would say that and just as a generality, um, the that the regular wooly sheep are a little bigger animal. They probably average 170 pound ewes and you can just do the math. And, uh, you know, 1200 pound cow, it's going to be mm-hmm. seven or so, seven to one as a conversion straight across. However, um, the hair sheep are a smaller body weight. They're a 110 pound animal and we regularly figure 10 to one and it's proved very accurate. I used to figure closer to eight to one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've actually bumped that up closer to 10 to one. And they're just a smaller, you know, pretty efficient little package. I will say that I think there's some symbiosis between cattle and sheep on most of, say, Wyoming um, and east, you know, western South Dakota, southeastern uh, southeastern Montana. There's a lot of good range there where sheep and cattle can run symbiotically, where the the sum of the parts is greater than you know the parts themselves. And so, so I think the old school rule of thumb that you can, if you have a 400 cow ranch and you can probably run 400 ewes and not even know it. But I think that a lot of 400 cow ranches, if they reduce their numbers by 100 head and they went ahead and ran their 400 additional ewes, but then they stacked on the seven to one on that hundred, you know, they might get to a thousand ewes and 300 cows. And I think they'd be really happy, and so would their banker.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and really quick, yeah, I want you to go back and and talk on that. Four hundred cows, you can run four hundred sheep. That's a rule of thumb. You and I are very aware of that because we've, I mean, we've been around sheep and grew up around sheep. But just kind of maybe hit that one more time because that is that is kind of a normal rule of thumb. and, And folks out in the western states that have been around sheep a little bit, hit that one more time as far as what that means.
1: You bet. I guess it's based off of that. Um sheep so think about the body weight. That's the easiest way I think of it. You know, sheep are so much smaller that you're it's not one-to-one. It's not apple to apples. You're talking, I don't know, tangerines to watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 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 so as you add on a small animal component, they're gonna find some forage you know, resources that are underutilized or non-utilized on your ranch resource. If you have said resource, which many of these interspersed northern mixed prairie type ecosystems have a lot of, you know, think about what the deer and the antelope eat, you know, that's a lot of getting towards feed that's good for sheep, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, so generally that underutilized resource can support that old school, you know, thought process of you can support a pretty good jag of sheep before you start noticing it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I think, I think it's just a generality, certainly not true everywhere. Um, but I think it holds true, you know, as a good starting place for a lot of these Western ranches.
0: You bet. We're going to talk about the range uh, and and diet here in just a little bit, because I know that was kind of your specialty coming out of college was was kind of the range. And and, and that was part of the reason why. I had sheep on on my op- operation was how we could deal with some range issues. We're going to get to that in a moment, but I want to hit one question, one more question. And that's something I know somebody's thinking about. And I know it was something that has been a big issue for when I was growing up that put my dad out of the sheep business. And that was predator control. So how are you managing predator control? You bet.
1: It's a threefold management tool and it's proved 100% effective. And it is the usage of guard dogs. The open range herding, so the presence of the man out there, and then thirdly, night pinning. I think that any one of those is partially effective, but if I was going to give up one, I'd give up the man um, because the guard dogs, they work very well, and the night pinning means that we put them in a pen every night. That's the one that's really non-conventional in even the sheep world, um, but, but we've just noticed if they're in a pen, that guard dog only has to patrol a smaller area thereby allowing us to use less guard dogs per band or our guard dogs that are at that band can stay a lot more, you know, in better flesh and better condition and do well while they're there. As opposed to the open range, if they're out and especially on some of these ranches that are fenced for sheep and the dogs are having to work a big, broad, you know, a couple thousand acre pasture and and then maybe they're having to travel over and work another couple thousand acre pasture where there's another group of sheep I think that's just really hard on dogs. They have a hard time getting around, and so, so, so again, threefold approach. I think the presence of the man is a big deal. Um, I think the presence of the guard dog is a huge deal, and I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have one sheep without one guard dog. Mm-hmm. But the night pinning, I would say, is kind of unique to us. It's kind of our secret weapon.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's. I mean, that that can make or break the business right there is really if you don't have if you're losing sheep so uh, let's get back to the, the guard dogs a little bit. what are you running for guard dogs? Ours are
1: um, not unique to us a uh, three-way breed uh, primarily marima but they would also be with components of Akbosh and Anatolian Shepherds and these are higher powered you know Turkish you know Middle Eastern type dog breeds that then really nice uh, western range operations have just experimented with these breeds. And, and those big sheep herds, you know, especially out in Idaho and Montana and South Dakota, there's people bringing in uh, guard dogs and experimenting with new breeds all the time. And we've just piggybacked on that to get something that's really functional.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to staying on the subject of dogs because i know your herders they have dogs as well and that's an important part of their of, of what they need not only for companionship but also just working those sheep uh what's the makeup of that and and, and how does that work with them you bet well it's actually pretty special um we had
1: really good luck we like border collies they just are just kind of the right blend of not biting too much not tearing stuff up but still being able to give the presence and the eye. And once in a while, a little nip at the heels to keep mm-hmm. the sheep together. You know, it's kind of hard to manage these bigger bands of sheep without a dog. Significant attitude adjustment to ours, which are very well dog trained, um, once even just a dog is is present in the neighborhood. Um, but I would say that our cool story is we've adopted a lot of them from the local animal shelters or pounds. Um, and that's really felt good. Um, and it's kind of funny. You might go in and ask for one that uh, nips at the heels, you know, or something like that. And generally you go read those stories and there's a lot of border collies that went to city homes and they Mm -hmm. just got bored and they needed something to do. And they might have bit bit a child or something like that. And that's, of course, unacceptable, but they work really good in sheep camp. So we've we've found that a twofold deal. We've actually never had a failure. We've had some better than others, but they've all been helpful. So. Mm
0: Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to continue with my guest today, Sage Askin with Askin Land and Livestock. We're talking about his sheep enterprise that is part of his ranching operation, the ins and the outs and the details. Very informative so far. We still have more to come. We're gonna be talking specifically about range and and just the management of of those range conditions with the utilization of sheep. And also when we come back right out of the break, we're gonna be talking about what states have the highest population of sheep in the country. Well, you probably have a pretty good idea, but we're gonna nut it down when we come back. You're listening to The Working Ranch Radio Show.
2: ka More pounds, more calves, more profit. Studies show Hereford Genetics increased net profit by $51 per cow per year. That's $20,000 in additional revenue for a typical 400-cow outfit. And calves sired by Hereford bulls continue to add value through the chain. A documented $30 per head in feedlot profitability. That's real money and real results. Get more ka Come home to Hereford at hereford.org.
0: And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills with you. We're glad to have you joining us on our program today. We're talking on sheep, and it's been very informative so far. We still have one more segment that we're going to have with Sage to talk about that. And then coming up here later in the program, be sure to stick around, because meteorologist Don A will be stopping in with a look at our long-term weather. But as we went out of the break, one of the trivia questions I asked was, what, states are, what are the sheep populations in the state? What states have the highest sheep population? Well, let's start at the top with Texas has about 740,000 head. That makes up about 14, a little over 14% of the nation's herd. California in at second at 550,000 head. Then it goes to Colorado at 365 head. Wyoming with 355,000 head. Utah, 275. South Dakota at number six with 270. Idaho, number seven at 250,000. Montana at eighth with 220,000. Then it goes to Oregon, With 195 and Iowa rounds out the top ten for states in the union. They have 155,000 heads, so that's the top ten states for sheep numbers here in the country. Let's get back to my guest today, Sage Askin. As I said, is my guest today, and Sage, uh, as we come out of the break, last time we were going to get be getting into range improvements. And I know you come out of college with a pretty strong range background. Uh, That's kind of one of your specialties. You're good at it. Uh, I I can, and I know in working with you in the past, uh, you know that kind of stuff very well and so from your perspective with your sheep enterprise how has that helping i guess when you look at trying to improve range conditions how is your sheep enterprise a part of that we
1: are just finding the old you know i like those old you know rules of thumb and one of them that i learned from an old school professor was match the animal to the resource and i'd give credit to dr jim wagner um down at down at wyoming he uh, just drilled that into our heads. And sheep, just think about it. I mean, it, it, the volume of forage that's out there and the ability of an animal's mouth to utilize that forage, really sheep fit a lot of country where we're trying to run cows. And and I think they have to walk a lot less to get their belly full. They might live all day on five pounds. Well, that's a lot easier for a sheep to To get five pounds of feed and with a smaller mouth, um, you know, know, the way they use their almost prehensile lips and tongue, uh, you know, the ability of them to pick up that finer forage might be threadleaf sedge that's four inches tall or blue grama. Uh, It just kind of makes intuitive sense that a sheep's going to do a little better job of that than a a cow with her big, broad mouth, you know, who kind of has to be a bit more of a generalist and take whatever she happens to get in her mouth at one time. Um, I'm not opposed to cattle. We love mm-hmm. cattle. We're still very top-heavy on cattle, um, you know, at both tradition and market-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, um, you, you know, kind of getting back to the sheep, I I think that, I think that it's the form component, the the enterprise, the ability to stack. I think there's a symbiosis there where you want some cows, but you want some sheep. And mm-hmm. if you were going to put it on a worldwide perspective, you would say that sheep are a higher, you know, gross margin enterprise and deserve some of your best feed and some of your best pastures. Cows are really, really good at one thing, and that's converting really, really low quality forage to uh, to something, you know, rather than just letting it sit. And so some of the highest profit, you know, inter- you know, ranches in the world Probably focused on their sheep and their cows are more of their cleanup crew and their bulldozers. Mm. And I know that's I know that's unorthodox. That's, almost that's, contrary. that's kind of another way of looking at it. <laughs> and <Yep>. That's, that's <laughs>
0: almost contrary than what we're, you know, because we almost think, well, the cows are the are the are the meat and potatoes and the sheep are the bonus here. You know, right.
1: Yeah. I mean, it look, but but there's a real cultural deal there. And, and the fun way to say it would. You have heard the expression I keep my sheep for profit but I keep them over the hill where nobody can see in my cattle for respectability you know <laughs> but yeah. but the way I put that you know when you think about like all these different cultures in the world you know they all have big herds of sheep it's even biblical and the cattle have always been like a uh, almost like currency it's like mm-hmm. a a prestige thing and and I think that just goes along with it I think a lot of us I even catch myself slipping back into cattle from time to time, um, that higher ratios than maybe I should be just cause I like them, mm-hmm. but, but the sheep are what's paying the bills and I can't say a good enough good things about them. And I'm never going to forget that. Yeah. So.
0: Well, as we kind of wind down here a little bit, um, for, for you, I, and, and I think it's, what was nice about having a conversation with you is because you do run a lot cattle and you run sheep. And, and I think there's, you're looking at, at a lot of this from a very business perspective rather than an emotional tie. And I think that's something from the ranching industry As you and I both try to do often is try to be very business-like. Sometimes you can't help yourself sometimes, but nevertheless, as you have evolved over the years and you look at your sheep enterprise, let's talk about maybe a couple of your biggest lessons learned and i'm not going to call them mistakes i'm going to call them lessons learned opportunities and then maybe your biggest what you feel are maybe the two biggest accomplishments so your two biggest uh lessons learned and your two biggest accomplishments
1: sure well i would say number one lesson is that sheep are a higher profit animal but i think a lot of people come to sheep and think well they're just going to run out i've had the question they're just going to run out on sagebrush, brush right I mean that's 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 mm-hmm. the best way they're gonna mesh, and I've really learned that that's not really true. I, there's times of the year, um, in the winter time, when they can get a significant chunk of their diet from the sagebrush, but they need a supplement, and they deserve a supplement, Justin. Um, they they're just they're paying for their supplement, and a little bit can go a long ways in boosting your lambing percentage and your lamb crop. And and I've been uh, I've really um you know visually the sheep looked fine and, and they've been nutritionally challenged. And, and I've really had to learn that the hard way. Um, and, uh, so I would say that that's one of the biggest lessons is these things aren't just, a just an animal out there. I really despise the term range maggots. Um, they're not, they're not just that. They're a lot more than that. And they will treat you back tenfold for every bit that you treat them well. And so that's one of the big lessons. I, I was kind of a cattleman going to sheep and I, I probably didn't have enough love for him when I got some love in my heart for the sheep, I really started making it work, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. and I would say, you know, uh, uh, you know, some accomplishment, it really feels good. So I'm, I'm kind of excited where we're going with this, uh, this lamb marketing, the, uh, I'm not really going to attribute it to COVID. It was in the work before then, but we're, we're, we're sourcing 400, um, weathers this year, to a um, major distributor of meat, we're, we're, and they're selling online, and that feels really good. We're controlling that animal from, from you know, there's, there's only two people, and I guess there's three people involved in the production chain. One is just the slaughter facility, the avatar, but on either side of that, we're the production all the way to a, basically a grass finished product, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then these people are distributing it to, to people on their plates. So however you want to look at that, there's kind of three people involved in the life of that, of that animal that means a lot. Um, that's a success. I think, I think the sheep market, you know, to be, to be frank, you know, a 50 pound box of meat is pretty nice for, for the normal American family to put in their freezer. And I think it's growing. Um, and, uh, the markets really, really bear that out right now. And, and, uh, so I'm, I'm excited about the future of the sheep industry.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to to join us here. I think it was I think for a lot of folks that maybe not real familiar with the with the industry, there's a lot of information you shared with them. And I hope for folks that maybe have that opportunity to uh, maybe expand their 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 uh, to another enterprise on their ranch. Maybe it's something they can visit with. And uh, you know, I know you've been a big resource to folks. Uh, are you good people for people to give you a holler and call and say, hey, I got some questions on this stuff.
1: Absolutely. You're welcome to to link me in your show notes or whatever you've got Mm -hmm. to do. And we've got a little website that has all of our contact information. So delighted to help. So thank you so much. I've been honored to be helped by a lot. So,
0: All right. Well, Sage, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thank
1: you so much, Justin. You're doing a great job with the show.
0: Sage Askin has been my guest today. He and his wife, Faith, and their two kids own and operate Askin Land and Livestock. They're based out of Lusk, Wyoming, but like I said, they do have livestock in several other states with their sheep enterprise and their goat enterprise and their cattle as well. And if you have questions about any of those or all how they all are working together... Don't be afraid to give him a call. Like he said, their website that you can find all of their contact information is askinlandandlivestock.com. Again, it's askin with an i, landandlivestock.com. Feel free to reach out and get a hold of him. And I know if you're if you're listening here and you're wondering kind of why I know so much a little bit about what they're doing, well, some of that has to do with the fact that I ran sheep with Sage uh, actually uh, uh, for about three years. They had sheep in here on our on our ranch here in northeast Wyoming and so was very familiar with how they're set up and, and working with their, their workers as well. And so that's kind of where that comes from as well. So I appreciate him joining us on our program. We'll stay with us when we come back. Meteorologist Donde is in. We're going to take a look at that long term weather when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
2: If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today Profit Tomorrow.
0: And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here with you as we turn now with a look at our long-term weather. Meteorologist Don Date joining us. And uh, Don, I know you were busy traveling here this last week all over the country doing some different presentations and uh, coincidentally on a pretty hectic weather week, nevertheless, but as we look ahead for the next and getting underway with the first part of March, you've anticipated that we're going to maybe start to see a little bit more moisture across portions of the country. Let's kind of break that out and where we're going to see that
3: Yeah, I you know the expression, you know, beware the Ides of March. Um, I think that's going to play out uh, as we look ahead into the next few weeks across a lot of the United States. Uh, although the first, let's say the first, you know, three or four days of March, I think we're going to have a little bit of a false spring. Uh, temperatures are going to rebound after this uh, most impressive Uh, arctic wave that a lot of the nation is feeling Uh, that's going to ease we're going to have a nice warm-up that'll really go coast to coast but then after that we're going to start to see stormy weather first move into the pacific northwest we're going to see the western areas of washington oregon and northern california uh, start to get into some wet weather as early as uh, later this weekend and into early next week and then we're going to see kind of a repeat performance in in the sense that to We're going to see another large area of low pressure form over the western United States the first weekend of this month and uh, kind of stick around for a couple of weeks. And so what that's going to do is, as these storms hit the western United States, during the month of March, we start to see these storms get a little more legs to them in terms of being able to travel across the U.S. Uh, So starting the weekend of the 5th and I think for the next couple of weeks after that, uh, really, across a good part of the United States, there's going to be some active weather, which means a little bit of everything. You know, March is that month where the days get longer, sun climbs higher. Uh, And you can get a little bit more in the way of wild weather. And I think that's what we're going to see this month.
0: Mm -hmm. And so uh, as we start to see that, you said it's going to we're going to start to really see it from the Pacific and move across the country. Uh, Are we going to see the significant cold weather or is it just going to be kind of just March stormy wet weather?
3: Well, it does look like we are going to maybe have another episode of some pretty cold air, at least relative to the 30 year average. That doesn't mean the intensity uh, of the Arctic air that uh, many areas of the United States have felt this week, but uh, temperatures uh, for the second and third weeks of March uh, are going to be below average. So it is going to be a little bit colder than I think a lot of folks normally expect in the month of March in the central and western United States. Now, there's one part of the U.S. that I think for the first 10 days of the month will be pretty darn warm. That'll be the Southeast and the Eastern parts of the US. So when it's cold in the West, it's warm in the East, and that's exactly what will likely transpire.
0: All right, well, Don, before I let you go, uh, when the captain was on earlier in our program, he wanted to uh, have us visit a little bit more about solar minimums and maximums and how that's affecting our weather. We've talked a little bit about it on our program here before, but how about we do this? Will it work for in the next week or so of our two episodes of our episodes that we dedicate an entire program to weather and we can talk about a lot Lot of different issues how's that sound
3: yeah that's a great idea I think uh, we're going to be able to update and have some new information on those cycles to, to provide folks
0: all right well thanks for joining us here on our program today thanks for having me all right again that's meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather by the way you can find his daily video podcast on YouTube or you can find the link by going to his website at dayweather.com we'll stay with us we'll put a wrap on our program when we come back after this And welcome back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. As we wrap things up for this episode here today, I do want to give you an idea of some of the things that I am working on for upcoming shows. Of course, as you just heard a little bit ago, meteorologist Don Day joining us here in the next uh, uh, week or two uh, for an episode. We're going to be dedicated fully to uh, weather outlook for the year. Also, um, lining up an interview with Clint Berry on marketing calves in 2022. Now, I did an interview with Clint about a year ago, and that was where we were at then but i think this is evolving very quickly and i think there's some things happening that we need to be aware of so working on trying to line up an interview with clint on that also a market forecast for the year and then also an interview working on the on the topic of beef chain it's a blockchain verified beef and sheep program that's out there you might have heard about it we're going to try to get some more information about what that is so some topics that i think are relevant to us here in the ranching industry i want to thank you for joining us on our program thanks to our our sponsors as well the american simmental association it's more per head period find out more at simmental.org the american hereford association come home to hereford at hereford.org the north american limousine foundation limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line find out more at www.nalf.org Don't forget coming up on March 26th, that's a Saturday, Keneally Angus with their spring bull sale. That'll be at the ranch at Whitman, Nebraska, selling about 550 head of older bulls coming twos. 18 month and some long yearlings as well as six heifer calves you can also catch that on northern livestock video you can find out more at kenealyangus.com and another sponsor includes the american angus association look for registration numbers when you're buying bulls buy the power buy registered angus bulls well the working ranch radio show is a production of working ranch magazine branded number one by america's ranchers join us each saturday and sunday at 12 noon eastern here on rural radio channel 147 series or on your podcast provider. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.